the Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Good morning, everybody. Hey, as uh, was said earlier, my name is Will. It's uh, a joy to be with you all this morning. I'm coming to you from uh, your rival city, Manassas, just uh, up the road. Growing up, I moved to Manassas in middle school. And I don't know if any of y'all have been in Woodbridge long enough to remember this. My favorite place in the world was Woodbridge because until they replaced it with a Costco, Van Skate Park was here in Woodbridge. This is a long, long, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And so uh, that's what brought me out, out here. But this morning, uh, it's a joy to be able to come out, to be able to... Uh, bring God's Word to you this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter uh, 4 and 5. If, if you brought a Bible, you can feel free to turn over in, in that direction. Um, as we also said earlier, Marlon's become a dear friend and brother, and uh, you know we've watched him endure a lot of hardship and trials this year, and uh, we, uh, I'm honored to be able to just come out and serve you all this morning by being able to preach. I don't know how many updates you guys have gotten uh, with how just the Yearwoods are doing. Uh, but what Marlon communicated to me as far as Deborah's surgery went, that it went as good as it could have gone, which is, a, I know all of you were, were praying to, to that end. And so uh, that, that's a great joy. I'm sure uh, there's a road to recovery, and they invite you to pray that uh, really during this time, recovery and pain would be a, a minimal as they, as they get back on their feet. Um, so what I would like to focus on this morning, Matthew chapter 5, our church is in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount has some of uh, Jesus' most well-known words, even if you've never stepped foot inside of a church before. You've probably heard some of what Jesus has said here. Um, And I want to look at a section here at the beginning of chapter 5 that I think is going to be of particular encouragement to you all. Um, I certainly don't have to be a prophet to say that uh, this has been a hard season uh, for Many of you in this room, this has been a hard season for your church. This has been a hard season for uh, Marlon and Deborah. And the opening words to the Sermon on the Mount are written to people who've not just had a hard year or a hard season. The opening words to the Sermon on the Mount are, are written to people who have really been into the very depths of sadness, of loss, of humility, of humiliation, and it's these words that I think are going to be a great encouragement to us this morning um, as we reflect together on what is this king like that we just watched this children's video of him being born into the world and we've sung songs, Uh, we read the encounter that Mary had uh, with the news that Jesus was being brought into the world, what is this king who is born unto us like? What is he like? I think this short passage this morning is going to help us uh, come to understand that a little bit better. So I am going to read just the background that leads into the Sermon on the Mount because I think it's helpful. And then we're going to read uh, to verse 5 of chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and then we're going to finish at 5, sorry, verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 6. Let's read together. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, 
those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And a great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray together and invite God to speak to us this morning. God, would you just slow us down in this moment to receive from you? I don't think that reading about Mary's uh, response to you being born could have been a more relevant passage for this morning. God, in so many ways, your coming reveals what you came to do. You came to exalt those of humble estate, and you came to bring down the proud and the arrogant. God, watching online and in this room are in some ways some very proud and arrogant people that need to be brought low under you. And then watching online and sitting in this room are some people who right now in their life are very low. And they need to hear your gracious lifting by your mercy and your love. And so God, would you communicate to us wherever we find ourselves this morning? Would you show us what your kingdom is all about? We pray as your people, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the Sermon on the Mount, again, has some of the most famous words that Jesus has ever spoken. Everybody's familiar with them. But what I want us to understand out of the gate this morning for, for just a little bit of background is that the Sermon on the Mount is not, wasn't really meant to be Jesus' popular words for all of humanity. Because the Sermon on the Mount is not... Uh, general principles for people all over the world to live by. There's a particular context that the Sermon on the Mount was written inside of, and that context is the kingdom of God. Even as we sing about with our Christmas songs, we're celebrating Christ the Lord. What we're saying in that is that a Lord has come. A king has come, and he has come to establish his kingdom. That is the framework that these words are written into. And I'll just give you a few examples as we move through it. So as we read this morning, even preceding the kingdom or the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is said to, to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom. In the first beatitude that we'll explain a little bit more in a moment, it says uh, that blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, later on, he's going to describe people who relax God's law and says that they're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. In the Lord's Prayer, we're to pray, what? For His kingdom to come. As Jesus summarizes the Sermon on the Mount and is dealing with our anxieties, uh, He says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. 
So the words that we're about to consider together are written inside of that context of God's kingdom. And before we consider them, it's helpful for me to just say a word of what we mean when we say God's kingdom. Uh, so, so right now, you know, you could say we're in like the kingdom of the United States or the kingdom of, of Woodbridge. It's this sort of uh, established uh, government that is tied to a particular location. God's kingdom doesn't work that way. God's kingdom is not so much based on a place, but on a person. Or as some have, have put it, God's kingdom is not so much a realm, but the reign of Jesus. So where people come uh, to, to grips with the reality of who Jesus is, and they acknowledge that you are indeed the king of the universe, and I submit my life to you, where that is happening is where the kingdom of God is found. So, so not a, a geography, not a particular location, but when people say, Jesus, I receive your salvation in my life. Uh, I want to now live under your authority. That is the place where the kingdom of God is spreading. And that's what Jesus came to establish. A people who are under his authority, living according to his rules and his, his commands. Now, what I want you to imagine yourself doing is you're coming to Jesus for the first time. And you're saying to Jesus, hey, I see you're establishing this kingdom. I would love to be a part of it. But I have a question for you. I'm kind of new around here. When it comes to your kingdom, what sorts of people succeed here? Or when it comes to your kingdom, what, what sort of people experience prosperity and favor and, and just overall happiness? I, I don't really know how things work here. Can you just help me kind of set myself up out of the gate so that I can experience favor and prosperity here? Um, that's the framework that I want us to understand these Beatitudes. Because this word that Jesus says over and over again, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. What he's communicating in that are people in his, in his kingdom who experience prosperity. People in his kingdom who experience success or favor. That's what's being communicated there. At, at a, even a most basic level, this word blessed that's, that's repeated over and over here uh, could, could simply mean happy. Who, who are the happy ones in your kingdom? Who are the ones that uh, experience your, your favor and your blessing? As I begin my journey in your kingdom, that's uh, uh, what, what I want to experience. And so, so who are those people? So uh, as we now get ready to look at these specific blessings or beatitudes, I just want to guide our time this morning with just two simple questions, okay? The first question is this. Who are the blessed ones in God's kingdom? And then number two, why are they the blessed ones, Okay. Who are the ones that experience happiness, success, prosperity, favor? And then number two, why are those the ones that experience this blessed, blessed life in God's kingdom? So let's begin with that first question. Who are the blessed ones? And what I want to do is just work with you one by one. We're going to look at these first four Beatitudes, okay? Beginning with the first one in verse three. Let's read it one more time. Who are the blessed ones? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The word here for poor is describing complete poverty and destitution. This isn't someone who just needs to pinch pennies or cut some coupons to make ends meet at the end of this month. This is someone who has nothing. 
This is not someone trying to make ends meet so they can pay rent. Uh, This is a person who doesn't even have a place to stay. They don't have rent to pay. This is someone in complete and total poverty. They literally have nothing. They are completely empty-handed. That's the first picture of the blessed one in Jesus' kingdom. It calls to mind a, an encounter that I had in Manassas a, a number of months ago. So uh, being on the other side of the county, uh, we actually have kind of being in the middle of Prince William County, we've got the government center and the jail that's right there. And so if you find yourself in trouble in Woodbridge, you'll be paying us a visit out in Manassas. Um, Our office is right outside of where the jail is, and I remember walking down the street one day and just seeing a young woman, she was probably in her 20s, and uh, it was a very cold day in April, kind of right after COVID had just kind of really taken root in our country, and uh, I I get ready to walk past her, and I just knew I needed to stop, slow down. She seemed like she needed a lot of help, and so I just began asking, hey, is is everything okay? Is there anything you need? And she thinks for a second, and she asks, well, do you have an extra sweatshirt or anything like that? I'm like, oh, no, I, I don't even, I, I don't have one. And I start walking, but I think the Lord just redirected me back. I needed to ask a little further what was going on. And I just said, hey, what's your story? What, what's going on here? Is there, is there something that I can do to help? And she began to explain to me that she is, had been in a uh, violent relationship with someone out here in the Woodbridge area. And something had happened the night before where she had gotten arrested and put it in jail. And she knew she couldn't go back to that relationship because of how dangerous it was for her. And she walked out of that prison that morning with, this is what she had to her name. A shirt, some pants, shoes, and a bus token that was going to get her to Woodbridge. Why was she going to come to Woodbridge? All she knew was that her dad lived somewhere in Woodbridge, didn't have his phone number, didn't have his address, was literally just going to come out here and just try to see if at least she could get some kind of lead in order to get a roof over her head that night. That was it. The clothes on her back and a bus token. Not a dollar to her name, not a phone, not a place to stay that night. By God's grace, some people in our church were able to come around her and help get her plugged into uh, actually a shelter out here in Woodbridge that's devoted to people who've experienced uh, domestic violence. And I hope that our churches can be the kinds of places that people like this find a home and are able to get back on their feet. But I don't share that story to so much communicate, hey, what we need to do to help poor people. I share that story to just give you some sort of illustration of what Jesus is talking about when he says, poor in spirit. You literally have Nothing. Destitute. Impoverished. But of course, Jesus isn't just talking about our material well-being. Jesus, when he says poor, he says poor in spirit. These are people, when they look at their spiritual lives, they would say, nothing. I have nothing. When they look at reasons for God to love them and be in a relationship with them, they would say, I have nothing. No reason for God to accept them. No reason for God to approve of them. Completely empty-handed. These are actually, in fact, people who may look quite wealthy or well-to-do on the outside, but as it pertains to their spiritual life, the core of who they are as human beings, they are impoverished with nothing. This is where we come up with that song, Rock of Ages. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that famous hymn and that line in it that says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. 
These are the first kinds of people who experience success, favor, prosperity in God's kingdom. People who literally have nothing. And so I'd love to invite you to just do some self-reflection this morning. What is your kind of self-understanding? Some of you, before you were walking with Jesus, you know, maybe you came out of a background of addiction, maybe homelessness, maybe just a lot of just problems in your life where this sort of poverty of spirit is easy for you to kind of understand and come to grips with. There are others of you in here, maybe you've been in church for quite a while, or you've been watching church online for quite a while. And all in all, compared to the rest of people in society, like, you're decent. Like, you're not like that story that I told of that woman. You know, you, you at least from society standards looks, look pretty decent. Have you come into a place in your life where you realize that apart from the mercy and grace of God, I have absolutely nothing? These are the first kinds of people that Jesus describes as blessed in his kingdom. Let's look at the second one. Blessed are those who mourn. These are people who've experienced intense grief and anguish in their life due to things that they've lost. People who have had things taken away. People who have been truly devastated in their life. And it's so telling that when you look at Jesus' life, he's kind of like a magnet. There are certain people that are repelled from him, and there are certain people that are drawn to him as, as quickly as possible. What are the kinds of people who are repelled from him? The people who are repelled from him are people who have gained much. They've gained great wealth. They end up turning their back on him and walking away. Uh, the people who had gr- gained great social standing didn't understand Jesus and were constantly judging him. Uh, the people who had gained great religious status uh, were, were, were people who uh, turned their back on Jesus, wanted nothing to do with them. Who were the ones that were drawn to Jesus like a flood pouring into his presence? People who were impoverished and had lost the means to eat. Those with some sort of illness that had caused them to lose not, lose not only health, but any sort of relationships in that society. They were completely cut off and outcast. Those drawn to Jesus were the ones who had lost children through demonic oppression. Those who had lost marriages through divorce. Those who had lost friends and family to death. It is to such people that Jesus is magnetically attracted to. People carrying heavy grief, anguish, loss. Blessed are those who mourn. Here's my question for you this morning on on this beatitude. 2020 in many ways is a year of loss and subsequent grief and anguish. Did you know that you could actually draw near to Jesus, not only with Him like, all right, helping you straighten your life out, but you can actually come to Him with whatever kinds of loss you're carrying right now? Some of you have lost health, jobs, relationships. Man, just even simple things for our kids that we would hope they would experience, we've lost those. What I pray you would hear this morning is 
the invitation from the king upon the throne who says, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, The king upon the throne who is described in Psalm 34 as one who is not far away, but near to the brokenhearted. One who saves the crushed in spirit. Are you mourning this morning? Have you experienced loss in your life? Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Let's look at the third one. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is meekness? This is not a popular value in our society. Meekness is a sort of humility. It's a gentleness, a quietness. Someone who's meek stands back from the rest of the crowd. They're not the first to speak up. They don't really fend or fight for themselves. Uh, A pastor, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, describes it as this. Meekness is essentially a true view of yourself expressing itself in an attitude and conduct with respect to others. So many have recognized a sequential order with the Beatitudes. So it begins with this poverty of spirit. It moves to this mourning, this loss. Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones is pointing out that when one has experienced these things, it now changes the way you relate to people. Because you understand that you are impoverished spiritually and that there's much grief and mourning in your life, there's some timidity or, or, or some uh, humility in the way that you now relate to people. That's, that's what meekness is. It even manifests itself perhaps in a humiliation, the kind of thing where you're not quite sure if you want to show your face in certain places uh, because of the kind of person that you are. It, it creates this gentleness, this sort of uh, standing back from the rest. And of course this is true because for many of us on Sunday morning, it's easy for us to acknowledge in the presence of God, yes God, I'm a sinner. Yes God, I'm impoverished spiritually. All of those things are true. But the moment we enter into relationships with people, we begin defending ourselves and saying, oh no, well I'm not as bad as you are because of this. And uh, don't talk to me about that area in my life. I've got some things I want to talk to you about in your life. What's that demonstrating? This sort of humility hasn't worked itself so deep into your soul that it actually changes your relationships, the way you relate to people. But meekness uh, that Jesus points out here is taking the humility that we have now before God and manifesting itself in human relationships. That's what meekness is. Gentleness, humility, even a sense of humiliation in the way you relate to people. Let's look at the last one, okay? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This last one is perhaps being similar to being poor in spirit, but it's a little bit more specific. Righteousness is simply being right with God. Uh, It's when one's life is held up against God's will and one can say, yep, I, I match that. That's God's will. That's his desire for my life. I measure up to that. That's when you experience righteousness. And if you were to ever wonder if you were a righteous person, a great place to test that theory or that hypothesis would in fact be the Sermon on the Mount. 
Because in the Sermon on the Mount, we get Jesus' true intention, a true desire for what righteousness looks like. And so if you were wondering if you were right with God or a righteous person, you could just begin reading what Jesus says about here. And then you're confronted with what Jesus says that concerning in his day, the most devoted, committed, religious people who lived in Jesus' day. He says, if you want to be righteous, you have to surpass even their righteousness. And then he goes on to explain what he means. Uh, He'll show, hey, if you want to be righteous, it's not enough that you've never committed murder. Do you hold anger, hatred, unforgiveness in your heart towards someone? Then you're not righteous. As it pertains to being right with me, it's not enough that you've just never physically committed the act of adultery. Do you hold lust in your, lustful intentions in your heart? If you do, you don't meet the standard. To be righteous in God's kingdom isn't just to be friendly towards people who are friendly towards you, but to love and to bless even your worst enemies, even the people that you ought to hate. You've now turned that hate into love. And so this would be our experience, testing ourselves against the standard that God establishes in his word as to what righteousness looks like. There is no way I can do that. When I look at what you actually expect of my life, I am not even close. Not even close. No more pretending or proving I am not righteous. I don't need to prove my righteousness by posting on some issue on social media. I don't need to prove my righteousness by winning every argument and having the last word. I don't need to prove my righteousness by gossiping about people who I think are a little bit worse off than I am. It's not even worth pretending. There is no righteousness. I am at a place of saying, God, I hunger and thirst for righteousness because I don't have any of my own. I may look okay compared to other people in my society, but when I look to your law, your standard, I have nothing but hunger and thirst because I'm not there. I don't measure up. So if you would then, zoom back to me, back out with our our big question that I wanted to ask this morning. Who are the blessed ones? Who are the favored ones in God's kingdom? Who are the the happy ones? Those Those who experience prosperity in the kingdom of God, these are the people who are blessed in God's kingdom. Those who are in spiritual poverty. Those who mourn from profound loss. People who are meek through a true understanding of themselves. And people who lack any sort of personal righteousness. These are the righteous ones in God's kingdom. To which we should step back and say, hold on just a second. That doesn't make any sense at all. In what society are people like this, the prosperous, happy, blessed ones? In fact, some of these statements are even contradictory. Happy are those who have absolutely nothing. That doesn't make any sense. Literally a contradiction. Happy are those who mourn. How does that make any sense at all? That's a complete contradiction. Why are these the ones who rise to the top in God's kingdom? Why are these the sorts of people who experience God's favor and blessing? Why are people like this the blessed ones in God's kingdom? It's because it's people like this who capture the very heart of the king. 
It is people like this who capture the very heart of this king who was born into the world that we celebrated through song earlier this morning. When Jesus says, blessed are all of these people, what he's not saying is just, hey, some impersonal karma just turns it out where uh, they experience some good things in their life even though they have some bad things in their life. This is not an impersonal thing that's happening. Jesus is saying, if you are in this position, you are blessed because my kingdom is coming for you. The king in God's kingdom is unlike any other king in the universe. Unlike, in fact, any other person you've ever met in your life. Jesus is so full of love, so full of compassion, so full of kindness, that it is his very joy to pour out his life for people like this. The poor, the hurting, the empty-handed, the humiliated, these are the ones that King Jesus' heart is drawn after. He loves people like this because it's in his very nature to love people like this. These are the blessed ones in his kingdom. And let me just clarify this just a little bit further. We're talking about entering God's kingdom. So put yourself back in that position where you're about to step foot in God's kingdom for the first time. And you come to sort of this welcome table where they kind of, you know, welcome people in and, uh, you know, you draw near and it's very evident. You're one of these impoverished, mourning, uh, meek uh, person lacking any sort of righteousness. And you come to this table, this welcome table of the kingdom, and there's someone there that says, oh, here you are. Okay, well, I can see there's some challenges. There's some issues in your life. There's some losses you've experienced. There's, uh, there, there's a lack of righteousness. I'll tell you what, we actually have a program specifically designed for people like you. If you'll head out on the parkway, you'll see a building on your left. Uh, go there, and when things have become a little bit more established, we'll welcome you into the full spectrum of the kingdom of God. No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is when people like this show up at the kingdom of God, Jesus' very heart leaps for joy. Have you experienced loss in your life? Are you spiritually weak and impoverished? Do you lack any sort of righteousness on your own? I am so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. In fact, my entire kingdom is established for people like you. You're the very reason that I've come to set up my kingdom. I'm so happy that you're here. I think an, another way that I could illustrate this is through an experience I had yesterday with my wife. We were planning for our kind of Christmas gift list. There are two types of people in this room. Some of you plan for months, and uh, you, know, you have a very thorough plan for how you're going to get gift giving done for the year. There are others of you that show up at Target on the 23rd, and you just shoot from the hip, and we're just going to make this work with whatever's left on the shelf. I am typically one of those Target people on the 23rd, uh, but this year we tried to be a little bit more thoughtful, and so yesterday we took out our little budgeting app, and we, we began to think, all right, who, who are the people that we love? Who are the people that uh, our hearts are drawn towards? Who are the people we want to show just our favor and our blessing for? And we started writing out names. So we've got kids on there, and we've got brothers and sisters on there, and even some in-laws made the list of there. Um, and then what we did 
and this is a very private list, no one's going to get to see it, but uh, we, we, we sort of matched the nearness of that person to our heart with the size of the gift that has been budgeted for them, right? So, so depending on how near they are to our heart, the, the greater kind of that little budget category is. And so, you know, the, my one-and-a-half-year-old Ava, like, whatever she needs, she's got it. The in-laws, we'll see what Dollar General has, and we'll, 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 uh, we'll make that, that, that work for them. Um, my in-laws go to our church, and so I, I'm allowed to say things like that here, but not back, back at home. Here's what's happening with the Beatitudes. Jesus, as he's on his throne, thinking about, hey, who are the ones that I love? Who are the ones that are near to my heart? Who, who are the ones that I simply want to show my favor and my blessing to? His list looks nothing like ours. When he makes his list of people that he wants to bless, those who have spiritually nothing in their hands. They're empty-handed spiritually. To those who are grieved and experienced loss and mourning. To those who are humiliated and brought to a very low place in their life. It's those who are uh, empty of any sort of righteousness of their own. Those are the people that Jesus, that come to his mind that he wants to exercise blessing for. And then he matches the size of that blessing with how near they are to his heart. Are you poor in spirit? I'm going to give you my entire kingdom. Are you mourning? You're going to get exactly what you need. I'm here to comfort you. Are you meek, humble, humiliated? You're going to inherit the earth. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? you are going to be filled with my perfect righteousness. Do you see this morning why it is that it is such poor and miserable people who are the happiest ones in the kingdom of God? It's because these are the kinds of people that Jesus came to bring his kingdom for. So let me just get ready to close by asking you these questions this morning. Are you in spiritual poverty? With nothing in your hands to offer, you should be happy because Jesus has given you his entire kingdom. Are you mourning the loss of something this morning? Are you grieved? Are you sad? You should be happy because Jesus is pouring out his comfort and his favor on you. Are you meek, lowly, even humiliated? You should be happy because you're going to inherit the new heavens and new earth. Are you unrighteous? Do you fail to keep even the most basic commands? You should be happy because in Christ you get filled to the brim with his perfect righteousness. All of this was made possible by the king becoming one of us, living perfectly in our place, dying the death that we deserve on the cross, and then as we celebrate every Sunday morning, rising again from the grave, establishing his eternal kingdom in which he will wipe away every tear from every eye, in which death and sickness and coronavirus and surgeries will be no more.
If you're here this morning and you're empty spiritually, you've got grief in your life, um, maybe you've been humbled and brought to a low place this morning, I just want to commend to you, offer to you, Jesus. He loved you so much that he was willing to lay down his life for you. And by turning away from your own self-sufficiency and your own sin, and by receiving what he did on the cross, you can experience all of the blessings that are listed here this morning. Let me pray for us now in closing, and we will uh, sing in response to celebrate all that God is for us in our lives. So Lord, we now just turn our attention to you as empty-handed, mourning, humbled, lowly, unrighteous people. This is who we are, God. Help us to be honest about ourselves at this moment. And help us see that it is for people like us that you established your entire kingdom for. God, thank you that you love us in our lowliness, in our mess, in our pain. You love us in the midst of all of that. And you're redeeming all of it in our lives for our holiness, for our good, and for your glory. So here and now, King Jesus, we fix our attention on you. We love you. We worship you. And we turn and just ask God, you say, blessed are these people. As we get ready to close this morning, we just ask God, then would you bless us? If we're grieved, if we are uh, spiritually impoverished, if we are lacking God, would you now turn and bless us as we seek you? We pray for these things in Jesus' name. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.